Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 94, The Word of the Lord Was Verified. Hello, friends. Welcome back. I hope you were able to go to sisterscriptorians.com. I hope you were able to download some of the ponder prompts. I hope you're enjoying those and that you're finding them worthwhile. Be aware that when you put in your email address, that then allows you to be able to receive them each week as I put them out. So that way you don't have to keep going to the website to see if there's something new. I can just let you know. I can send you an email to your inbox. Anyways, I hope it is enhancing the experience here as you come each week and listen to the new episode that's released. I hope it is enhancing your experience, that you're being able to get more out of the scriptures I'm different than Come Follow Me. Come Follow Me is going to pass me up next month, for sure. It's funny, at first kind of for a second felt a pressure like, oh no, Come Follow Me is happening. I better start speeding up. And then I thought, no, I'm going to stay in my lane. The purpose of Sister Scriptorians is to learn, liken, and then lift others. And we first have to begin lifting ourselves So applying the principles and the doctrine that we're learning in the Book of Mormon and making it personal, making it that the Book of Mormon is changing our life, that we can answer that question from President Nelson, what would our life be without the Book of Mormon? Well, we'll know because we have soaked up the Book of Mormon slowly and we've applied it personally. So that is the purpose of Sister Scriptorians. So we are not going to be speeding along like Come Follow Me does, but we're going to slow it down and we're going to have it change our hearts, uplift our confidence, help us to be able to love ourselves and others more deeply and more fully. So check out those ponder prompts. Go to sisterscriptorians.com, put in your email, Check out what I already have on the website or sign up to have them come into your inbox weekly. Okay, it's my observation as I was reading the scriptures for this week's podcast. It's my observation that there are several interesting shifts that are taking place in the record keeping of the small plates of Nephi. Oh, that was kind of a mouthful. Do you get what I'm saying? We see it beginning in Jerem, and it's carried all the way through the book of Omni. And take note that once we finish reading the book of Omni, we have then completed the small plates of Nephi. They will have been filled up. And that's where that set of scripture or record keeping is completed and finished. And the first noticeable shift is a comparison of the contents of the plates. Remember, Nephi bulked up his writing with so much spiritual knowledge, everything from doctrine to application, meaning how the tender mercies of the Lord were showing up for them when they were getting the brass plates or when they were hunting or squabbling or building a boat or even crossing an ocean. We have many personal family experiences to observe and then to also learn from especially in that first book of Nephi. It's why I deliberately 
didn't move fast. I know that there are a lot of episodes dedicated to First Nephi, but I wanted to be able to preserve and soak up as much as the Spirit was giving me as I was reading the scriptures. No doubt I missed a ton, but I did do my best to be able to honor what the Spirit was pointing out to me. In comparison to Nephi, Jacob is a much shorter book, isn't it? But it is also filled with doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. We then have an even shorter book, the book of Enos. And it is a taste, I think, of what we used to get from Nephi. The book of Enos is a personal experience that models for us how we can speak to deity. It's an experience that when we read it and we study it, we can then mirror it. And then we can place hope in it. The writings and the contributions of Nephi and Jacob and Enos are in strict alignment with the instructions that the Lord gave Nephi, that this record is to preserve the precious spiritual experiences of the people, that they're to leave the history of the people to the other plates of Nephi, or what we call the large plates. And it is my opinion that the shift that we are seeing in the dwindling in the preservation of spiritual experiences is reflected in some very hard years for the Nephites. In all fairness, there is some indication that the plates were filling up, that there wasn't a lot of room left. And since I have never made plates, I don't know if it wasn't possible to be able to make more pages (laughs) to fit into that record. But I don't think it is too harsh or too critical to see a correlation between the decreasing of the preservation of spiritual experiences and the increasing challenges and pressures that this people, that they were forging through, and how well the Nephites were holding up under these challenges. I don't think God stopped speaking. I just wonder what was happening especially when you keep in mind the covenant that the Lord made to the Nephite nation. It was a national covenant that he made tied to the land that they dwelt on. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. The land was consecrated for their good. Their good in prospering in numbers, in being provided for as far as food and materials in order to help them survive and defend themselves. It was to prosper them in protection against other nations, the strength of God in helping them defend themselves. So let's get into the scriptures so that you can see what I mean, and then you can decide for yourself. How about that? Beginning with Jerem, he is the son of Enos, but already in verse 1, I see a shift. It has to do with his understanding of what these plates are to contain. Jaron believes that his purpose of writing on the plates is to preserve his genealogy. That isn't bad, but it's a little shift, which may be reflecting what's going on in the hearts of the Nephites. Jerem, in the next verse, even sets the intention that he won't be writing any of his prophecies and any of his revelations. 
And that is another shift. Even Enos, whose book was only 27 verses, he still captures his personal experience, his personal relationship with the Lord. He captures his revelation. However, Jerem points out that the plates, they already contain the doctrine of Christ, and that is good enough for him. Now, I'm not shedding any negative light on Jerem. Perhaps he was a man of few words. Maybe his conviction was so solid that fluff wasn't necessary and that in plainness, he just desired to point his people to the doctrine of Christ. Or maybe he, like some of us even, maybe he didn't feel that he had any monumental experiences with the Spirit. But it was just always there, subtly woven throughout his life. We don't know. But I can say that Jerem did have discernment. He could clearly see and communicate to us the division that was occurring with his people. And his wisdom regarding the why is captured in his writings. In one vein, Jerem indicates that the Nephites' hearts were hard. Their ears were deaf and their minds were blind and their necks were stiff. Absolutely at this time, pride was setting in. And because of the mercies of God, they had been preserved up until this point, thank goodness. And Jerem expresses his gratitude that the Lord hadn't swept them off the face of the land yet, that the Lord had been exceedingly merciful, giving them time to figure things out. However, in the next verse, Jerem switches gears, and he says that many of the Nephites are having revelations, that those who have faith are communing with the Holy Spirit. After 200 years since leaving Jerusalem, we learn that the Nephite people are strong. They are keeping the law of Moses. I like this. They are keeping the Sabbath day holy. They aren't profaning or being blasphemous. And what I take that to mean is that they are being reverent, that the majority of them are keeping sacred things sacred, and that they aren't polluting themselves or God's work. In this regard, the Nephites are growing, not as populous as the Lamanites are, by the way, but they are growing and they are spreading throughout the land. Jerem also tells us that they were blessed to have mighty kings and leaders. They were mighty in the faith of the Lord, and they taught the people the ways of the Lord. These kings, it looks like, it looks like they fortified the people both spiritually and physically against the attacks of the Lamanites, and that they were able to drive the Lamanites out of their land. And because of this, the Lamanites were not able to prosper against the Nephites. And here is the first time that this phrase is used, and it will be used again in the opposite way in the book of Omni. But Jerem writes that the word of the Lord was verified. The word being, keep my commandments and ye shall prosper. The covenant was still in effect. Despite their hardships, the Lord was keeping his word. The majority of the Nephites, it looks like, were strong, and they were following the law of Moses. They were keeping that Sabbath day holy. They weren't being profane 
or blasphemous. And the Lord was keeping his word with them. And I am guilty. I am just as guilty as the next person in allowing life to blind me. And I need reminding when my fears start to surface and when events appear to not be in my favor. I too need reminding that the Lord's word will be verified eventually. He always proves his words. He is the God of truth and he cannot lie. And you know, (laughs) he has never let me down in the long run. He has stretched me. He has given me experiences to choose faith over doubt and fear. He has not spared me from disappointment and from heartache, but he has not let me down either. Instead, I find, as I look back on my life, he has pointed me in the right direction to discover and to develop tools. And then it's like he takes a step back, giving me space to learn how to use those tools. I'm not going to lie, though. It looks like it took a lot of effort to keep the Nephites standing their ground so that they wouldn't get turned around. I wonder in the books of church history if our day will be recorded in the same way. A thought that occurred to me last week when I was recording the episode about Enos, but I didn't have it flushed out yet, but my thought was, fear isn't a lasting motivator. Choice is what sustains us. We can be compelled and we can even receive a really good lecture, perhaps even be filled with a lot of fear about consequences for transgressing. But it doesn't last long, does it? It takes a lot of work by our teachers and our prophets to continually stir us up to repentance, to keep us in the fear of the Lord. But when we choose life for ourselves, like we once did, We'll have bumps because that's the way life goes. That's the way it's designed. But it doesn't require external forces driving us in the direction we need to go. There's something there, parents. I know it. There's just something there about how to deal with teenagers. I just haven't quite fleshed that out, but I know it. I know it's there to help them choose instead of us having to have so much pressure on our shoulders to put fear into them to control their behavior, right? I don't know. You flush it out and you get it back to me, okay? Anyway, moving on. That was kind of a tangent. The Nephites, like I said, were blessed with good kings and leaders. We could use some of that in our world. They had prophets who were threatening destruction if they didn't keep the commandments and avoid transgression. Their prophets, priests, and teachers labored diligently, exhorting with all long-suffering, teaching the law of Moses and the reason for the law of Moses, which is to point their hearts to Christ. And then they would speak about Christ in such a real and a personal way that they taught as if Christ had already come. This is how prepared the Nephite people were hundreds of years before Christ would ever come. And despite all of these efforts, the people of Nephi, though they had had their hearts pricked and were kept from being destroyed, contention and wars were occurring. Definitely with the Lamanites, 
but it's the next word in this trio in verse 13. The trio is wars, contentions, and dissensions. I don't know why I had never noticed that before at this point in the record. They were experiencing dissensions or groups of Nephites leaving them. And later on in the Book of Mormon, you'll see that dissenters were never a good thing. In fact, it's my opinion that at one point, I think the Lamanites would have just kind of left the Nephites alone if it weren't for the dissenters that would always go and stir the Lamanites back up into hatred for the Nephites. So now it's been 238 years since Lehi left Jerusalem, and the people of Nephi are experiencing a division. And possible factors that I see for this division are growth, pride because of riches, pride because of enmity with God's ways, and continual warfare with the Lamanites. The shift continues as Jerem gives the plates to his son Omni. And the time that Omni seems to have the plates in his possession is from around 276 since they left Jerusalem until 282 years since leaving Jerusalem. And Omni tells us that he fought to preserve the people with his sword, defending them against the Lamanites. He describes himself as a wicked man, that he hasn't kept the statutes and the commandments of the Lord like he should have. Those are his words. So now the record is not being kept by the spiritual leader of the people, which is another shift. Though despite whatever Omni's personal behavior and relationship with God was, I'm grateful to Omni because he kept the record safe. Remember, the Lamanites desired to destroy the record. And Omni was very much engaged in defending his people against this ferocious enemy. And while the record was in his possession, their sacred writings were preserved, and then he was able to pass them on to his son Amaron. Now, in commending Omni and the three verses that he wrote upon the plates, I believe it's safe to draw a parallel as to what is happening with the Nephites, because it's not good. Amaron tells us now that the Lord would not suffer that his word should go unverified. This is not good news for the Nephites. Enough had been enough, and the Lord had determined that enough time had gone by and that his word must now be verified again, this time not in prospering. It was now 320 years since they had left Jerusalem since the Lord had preserved them, bringing them out of Jerusalem and keeping them from falling into the hands of their enemies in the promised land. But the Nephites were not standing their ground. They were backing down, obviously backing down from keeping the commandments of the Lord. And though the righteous were delivered out of the hands of their enemies, the more wicked part of the Nephites were destroyed. At this time, there is no added revelation. There is no added personal experience with revelation or any captured fruits of the Spirit. We aren't even given any added witness of their relationship with the Lord. And I don't believe that that's coincidental. 
when you compare it to the state of the people as a whole. Amaron, he did not have any children, so he gave the plates to his brother Chemish. I should have looked that up to see how that's pronounced. Well, he only added that he had witnessed on that day Amaron riding upon the plates. So are you sensing now that these plates that Nephi bore his soul upon and Jacob engraved his great anxieties on are not as revered? Yet another shift. Yet before you start condemning them, let's just do some math. (laughs) Let's just put this timeline into perspective for us. So if you take the year 2020 and you subtract 320 years, that takes us to 1700. What was going on for us as a people 320 years ago? For those in the United States, that's a whole 76 years before the Declaration of Independence. And it's been 233 years since the signing of our Constitution. A lot has changed in our society since those days, right? Some for the good, a lot for our demise. I bring this up because never ever do I want to develop pride or enmity between myself and the Nephites. God loved them. And their prophets did everything they could to teach me to do better. Their plight must always be cause for my self-reflection and not my self-elevation. And self-reflection reminds me that I live in the land that is still under covenant. And just because we aren't seeing the Lord's word being verified due to breaking of his commandments. We shouldn't take his patience with us as a sign of his approval or as a sign of his non-existence. So Chemish then passes the plates to his son Abinadam, who had also seen much war and who had taken the lives, he says, of many Lamanites. This continual warring has got to have had an impact on the hearts of the Nephites. The greater portion of the wicked Nephites is destroyed. The righteous Nephites were preserved. The hand of the Lord, I'm sure, is upholding them. But whether they like it or not, they are a warring nation. Maybe they aren't instigating it. I can't tell at this point. But because of their constant need to defend themselves, their culture and their family structure, their ideals, and even their priorities have got to reflect the fact that they are at war a lot. Abinadam states that he knows of no other revelation or prophecy besides what the plates already have written upon it. And he then gives the plates to his son, Amalekai. Notice we haven't been blessed with any new revelations or prophesying for a couple hundred of years now. I'm sure it was happening and just not being preserved on these plates. Can you imagine not having the words of our Latter-day Prophets preserved for us for a few hundred years? No optimism from President Hinckley 
no grit from Brigham Young, no revelation from Joseph Smith or direction to read the Book of Mormon from Ezra Taft Benson. We would miss out on so much, so much we would forget. It's a shame. But thankfully, we have another shift. A shift away from these brief record keepings. Amalekai's writings are still very brief, but they give us some really great treasures. Miracles, really. And next week, we'll dive into him and what he has to offer in verses 12 to 30 in Omni. But thinking about what we've discussed today, what if anything can be likened to us? What can we benefit from? What can we learn besides a brief history lesson in order for our minds to be able to track these people? The number one thing, the Lord's word will be verified. His word spoken to all of his people, his word spoken to you personally, they will be verified. Our goal is to have them verified in the affirmative, right? (laughs) So how can we do our part? Keeping his commandments is where we begin. Yet the book of Jerem and Omni give us some principles to strengthen our conviction and our connection with God in our lives. First, preserve the tender mercies of the Lord. Preserve how he is showing up for you. And preserve the personal revelations that you're receiving from him. Let him know that they are sacred to you so that he'll give you more. When we begin to say that we have nothing more to add, let that be a signal to us that something might be lacking in our care of sacred experiences. We might not be noticing them. We might not be slowing down to allow them to occur. We might not be preserving them, or we might not be seeking for them. Any of these will contribute to the Lord's light not fully shining on us. Next, we learn the principle that we need to understand our purpose. I think Jerem got a little lost when he thought that the plates were to preserve his genealogy. Now, to preserve our purpose, this doesn't need to be a huge thing, sisters. It can simply be my purpose is to learn. My purpose is to love. My purpose is to repent, and my purpose is to grow. And I'm sure you can think of several other mantras of what your purpose is and have them be very clear in your mind. It's when these purposes are slightly skewed that the door to unwanted problems begins to be left open. For example, my purpose to learn when skewed can lead to perfectionism and a fear of making mistakes. Or my purpose is to repent. When that is skewed, that can lead to fear of repenting and then feeling shame because there must be something wrong with us because inevitably, we all need to repent. Little shifts, my friend. Little shifts. They can expand you, or when skewed, they can diminish you. So the last principle that I just want to focus on before we wrap things up is choice. What you revere is what will be multiplied in your life. 
what you choose to see yourself as is what you will be. And growth in spiritual things, growth in faith, only comes by choice. It doesn't come because you were scared into something or someone threatened you with severe consequences. You must choose it for yourself in order for it to have lasting change in your life. And I can only speak for myself when I say for me, choosing daily looks like choosing love and acceptance for myself because God says he loves me. And I choose this over the negative voice in my head. And it is speaking more often kindness to me until my brain relaxes and my body believes it. And it is praying to God. Use the ponder prompts from last week's episode. Praying in this way has been powerful for me. It is somehow tapping into the word of God every day, even if it is just a few verses or a Mormon message or a talk. I choose to revere God's word and to make room for it in my life in any way I can. And last, as I'm thinking about my daily, it's repenting. It's going about my day with good intentions, doing the best that I can, paying attention though when my heart is pricked, and then thinking about how I can do a little better the next time and even throwing in an apology when it's required or necessary. Whatever it is for you, choose to do it because you love God. That is more lasting. That is more life-changing. Your choice is what determines how the Lord's word will be verified in your life. Make today a great day.